her daughter because that's okay that's the big reveal in this movie it, this is the it's whole technically it's her daughter both. and her sister yeah um, which uh, yeah we'll get to that but roll time <laughs> Welcome back to the Great American Movie Review, where we review great American movies. My name is Micaiah. And I am Kyle. This is a Movie of the Week style podcast where we take turns picking films and we have a casual discussion about their context and quality. This week I have chosen uh, the 1974, I guess, consensus one of the best written films ever, Chinatown. It's definitely a classic. For yeah, it's sure. definitely a classic. Yeah. Um, and also, if you prefer us in uh, <laughs> plugging our audio, so if you prefer us on audio formats, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're also out there just letting you know. So Chinatown is about uh, Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Giddis, who is a private detect or private uh, private eye, basically. And he's hired first by what he believes to be Evelyn Mulray to investigate her husband, and then it turns out to be actually not Evelyn Mulray, and then so he gets hired by actual Evelyn Mulray to investigate the murder of her husband, and then shenanigans ensue. Yes, it's a film noir, so the plot is dense, and it's a tangled, knotted mess until it gets sorted out, and they've find out what's really going on it's it's a classic like film noir kind of that investigative private eye style movie so for context i have i had never seen this movie but i always knew that it was a classic yes and i wanted to pick it specifically because i knew that i would probably think it would be a classic and it's been a while since we've picked a movie that is this kind of movie well we've never picked a movie like this but it's been a while since we've had a writing-focused movie. Something right. that you can watch a hundred times and still find something else with the plot or with the characters that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We haven't had as much of like what you would call writing-heavy films lately. I, yeah, I would point to In Bruges and... Network. Network as our only two, yeah. Yeah, for sure, I agree oh, with that. Oh, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, When Harry Met Sally as well different genre but that kind of that yeah. that dialogue character and plot heavy film right right no so i agree with that i understand that you've seen this movie yes and i do not know what you think about it so i'm gonna let you go first since you've technically seen um it first. i mean okay well just some general facts about the film uh the film it's directed by roman polanski it received massive acclaim generating um, I said generating, garnering 11 Gen Academy generating. Award nominations, winning for original screenplay. It was also a commercial hit, making over $29 million on a $6 million budget in 1974. So in today's terms, that's um, it would be around $180 million on a $37 million budget, which is insane for like a, that's a good noir hit. style crime movie, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like that's especially a, that's for a, the genre. Yeah, that's a decent hit, especially for the time when it came out. So absolutely, yeah, this film is iconic and it had a very big impact in the year it came out. I think the only reason that it didn't 
take away i probably would have won best picture and several other oscars if the godfather, if the Juggernaut part, two, of godfather yeah, part two hadn't come around. out the same year yeah. so this would probably be a best picture winner if not for that honestly um that's just kind of how it is in my eyes it is a best picture winner in 2005 because uh crash is definitely not that (laughs) (laughs) we'll just replace it we'll just replace it yeah but um yeah general thoughts i mean this is a classic this is a classic for a reason um it really does a great job i think within the landscape of film representing both the old and the new for the time where they took one of the most classic film genres with this film noir and taking it into the 70s. We've talked a lot about the Hayes Codes in previous videos, but this is obviously post-Hayes Code, and 70s is known for a lot of its. It has a little bit more sleaze and scuzz and grime on it. Yeah, you know? good, because that's what was happening in the 30s. Right, right. And the and noir is known for that moral gray area and kind of just having darker content like that. And so having that presentation, and for the most part, this movie plays it straight in a way that's not too far off from what you would get back then but you do get these later reveals that just kind of bring it to that 70s grime low dirt just kind of place that's just kind of skeezy um and yeah i love the way that it kind of blends the old school with what it was at the time now like the modern sensibilities of 70s film and it's so good um jack nicholson is so good faye dunaway's great um I'll agree with I that. Do, yeah. I, I think the only thing I'd add to that is it captures LA in a way that I don't think any other movie can or has yeah. done. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Because LA at the time, especially at that time and the years beforehand, was the Wild West when it came to private detective and also screen actors. So seeing a take on that, it and almost. It doesn't seem like it, but it's definitely a love letter to right. Hollywood from the 1930s. Yeah, because it's set in the 30s and everything. So, yeah, it's definitely steeped in all of that. But I sure. also love that it takes a story of, I, I believe it was the St. Francis Dam collapsing in the late 20s and turns that into the plot of a murder whodunit. Right. And it also it just the way it uses its characters. I love the fact that we see race relations done better in in this movie than than Crash, for example. But well, everything's better than Crash. <laughs> everything's better than Crash. But <laughs> I mean, if you think about the time period of the 30s, especially because California itself had only been Americanized over the past less than 100 years. But we also have to remember it was a Spanish colony until Mexico gained independence. Then it was up Mexican territory and then it became American. And also there was an explosion of Asian immigration as well. So you have you have the Mexican-Americans, you have the uh, the European-Americans coming in, especially in the 40s, 1840s rather. And afterwards, so you have those mixing with the Asian immigrants coming in. And it's so interesting to take a look at those kind of relations at the time that I, I really just enjoy seeing a right. movie. It, it's getting dirty, of course, but I appreciate that it's 
that it's recognizing that in a way right. that I don't think Hollywood wants to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the 70s is full of that kind of stuff. Um, honestly, in a way, it's kind of refreshing that this is more of a true noir because the 70s does feature what I would call the emergence of like the neo-noir genre with sure. stuff like Taxi Driver where they're taking those ideas, but then it's really modern, <laughs> like for the time um, and kind of how that would evolve to that. Whereas this, in the way it goes back to the 1930s, obviously in just its setting alone, but then also stylistically is truly in that classic noir feeling, but then bringing in that lens of time and um, perspective. Yeah, I didn't realize at the time, but you, you know the video game L.A. Noir? Yeah. By Rockstar, the people who do GTA. I've not played it, but I'm very I'm familiar with it. Yeah, this... I, I didn't realize how much influence this movie and also just 1930s L.A. at the time, even though it was set in like the 40s and 50s, but yeah. 1930s at the time and really just murder mystery had on Hollywood and L.A. in such a way that it make it makes ripples everywhere. But right. I love seeing it in this movie. And also L.A. Noir is a fantastic game for anybody who also likes that kind of gritty 1930s Wild West when it comes to police force and uh especially detective work right for i sure I, I just like the environment of this so much yeah, yeah and th this is like jack nicholson too like in his prime it, not only that this might be my favorite yeah i'd say this is my favorite role he's ever done oh really because, Man, of, how, yeah. because of how stoic he is and confident still and because of how ignorant he also is the character of uh Jack Giddis or Jake Giddis is an amazing character. And yeah. I mean, obviously was written for Jack Nicholson, but man, does he embody it? Yeah. Not really a good team. guy either. Like, no, he's, no, no. He embodies some of like a lot of the tendencies of the time that it's portraying, you know, yeah. he makes, he repeats this really horrible joke, <laughs> which is meant to be like, he's re like, just, he leads off on a bad foot in this relationship with the Faye Dunaway character who <laughs> is, yeah. But the fact that he's able to not only rebuild that relationship from the ground right. up, essentially from, from starting on the back foot, but also... Right. He's he's just an interesting character. His dynamic, his dynamic with with uh, Faye Dunaway's character Evelyn Mulray is insanely good. Yeah, it is some of the best character work I've seen. Yeah, and Faye Dunaway is also terrific in this. Um, as just this person, she is in all you know effects the um, what's the word the femme fatale of the film you know this mysterious woman who you don't quite know her motivation she's sitting on some secret you know she's filling yeah. that role but the secret here and the way that she plays it is so complex and like there's so many dynamics within the relationships of that character that she plays it so well um to try to like get him to help her but also you know, trying to, she is manipulating him to some extent because she's not giving him all the information, even though he's, you know, investigating stuff for her. <laughs> but the character work for that is done so well. Yeah. And, and given Faye Dunaway's acting chops, she absolutely embodies that. She 
knows what's going on. She knows the ins and outs of everything. She doesn't want you to know. She's never going to tell you, but she's kind of hinting towards certain things every now and then. She's giving you breadcrumbs just so that you'll be seduced by the story. Yeah. And it's done so well. Yeah. Um, Speaking of just like the film making in general, there is a big, I think, elephant in the room when it comes to talking about any Polanski film. Roman Polanski is a very complex individual in the history of Hollywood. Um, You want to look into his life, you can. We're not going to go into it too much here, I don't think, unless we do. Who's to say? Um, But basically, the... To get it out of the way, the man's a scumbag. Um, the man is a convicted um, person who's been on the run from authorities. He fled the country in 1978 because... He actually fled the country because the system wasn't going his way exactly. Right, right. Because he was... Okay, so for just basic context, context he was charged... Um, with rape with drugging and sexually assaulting a 13 year old yes he didn't get convicted of that but he got convicted of no he pled he pled guilty he pled guilty and was going to serve a probation period because that's that's what the right the the confession that he he gave and he pled guilty but the guilt the guilty plea deal was that he would get probation and that's it yeah he didn't plead guilty to rape though he plead pled guilty to like illegal sexual something with a minor basically yes so um but the judge took took the plea deal off the table and so because the system wasn't treating him as he is a famous person he fled to france yeah where there was there was and is no extradition treaty so he can't be extradited and given back to the united states to face a trial not just in this case for what he did which was a horrible thing but also doing the terrible thing of not wanting to serve time right he he does yeah that that's the thing that really makes him like he's he in the system pled guilty to this thing and then he fled the country you know that he didn't try to like face the music you know (laughs) he just was like i'm going to flee completely there there's like i said there's stuff that you can look into and research on your own if you want to look into it there's weird stuff with like what the person the you know the girl who was the other part of this situation um she forgave him in like 2022 i think right but to add to that i i'm glad that she's able to forgive him yeah. But when it comes to Polanski, I don't give a fuck. Because yeah, not because he still fled and because he's yeah. still not serving time and because he's still a scumbag. Yeah. So the thing yeah. Yeah, regardless of what you think of him, I think it's it's more so the case of because the system didn't work out in his favor because he's so famous, that's why he fled and that's why he's still a scumbag. That's why he can't be forgiven. Yeah. He's a real, genuine dirtbag of a human being. I have no sympathy for that man. That man got off easy for what he did. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, Hollywood in general has supported him over the years, even though he's not allowed back in the U.S. There's a little bit 
too much forgiveness, I think, for Polanski in Hollywood. And I'm not I don't want to get too much into it more than the, we already no, have. The, but the last point I wanted to make about Hollywood is yeah. they it was only six years ago when they stopped caring about him, which right. sucks because it became real convenient to for to not worry about it until it became inconvenient because all the scumbags and in, in Hollywood were ratted out. Yeah. So yeah. they only decided to care when it was entirely too late and under dubious circumstances. That's the right. problem I have with Hollywood as it is today. Yeah. They'll yeah, only yeah. do what is right when it's convenient to do so. They won't do what it's what's right when it's right. <laughs> Back in 2002, when the pianist won the one best picture in that same awards, uh, Michael Moore was trying to protest the Iraq war in his speech. And not that Michael Moore is my favorite guy ever, but he got booed off stage for trying to protest the Iraq war. So that like, they did not have their priorities straight. I don't think. And uh, yeah, it's just, there's a lot to look into with that. You can, like I keep saying, you can do that on your own. We're not the show to like get into all yeah, of my that, point is but... the people in Hollywood are humans too, so stop yeah. idolizing him that much. They yes. are not they are not moral in what they do just because of what they do. They yeah. are moral They're... if they are moral. Yeah, there's just a little bit of a pall over all of Roman with Polanski's films. And he's made some genuinely terrific all-time classics, this being one of them. This and being the subject the one, matter. Yeah. yeah, and the subject matter of this one. <laughs> Two makes it a little skeezy and difficult from like the perspective of he's the guy who made this because um, it seems to be really damning of this thing. But then he turns around and does what he did. And it's like, oh, what were you trying to like just get something out of your system then? I don't know like what's going on here yeah. then in that case. But I mean, yeah, but like Rosemary's Baby, Repulsion, you know, there's he's made so many classic films, especially in the late 60s and 70s. Um yeah, it's really, it's just a difficult thing. And like I said, it's just kind of a pall over watching any of his films, even when they are a classic. Yeah, but anytime I That's talk about thing. Polanski now, like when I'm when I'm talking about him and I'm praising his filmmaking in the rest of this episode, just know I pretty much hate this guy um, as a human being. Which but sucks because he made mean, a damn yeah, good film. This is the separation of the art from the artist. This is like the example of that to me yeah. um, is Polanski specifically because yeah but that being said this is a fabulously made film um Polanski really does have a good sense of what he's making here um with that film noir he has a really good sense of just the Hollywood history and being able to capture all of that um the film has kind of what the one thing I'm kind of iffy on in the movie is something that I think is a very intentional thing in the film. It's just, it doesn't, it, it does decrease my enjoyment slightly of when I'm watching it is that the movie is just this very dusty beige and Brown kind of colors throughout, which is the point, you know, they're in a drought in the middle of LA, which is a desert. I mean, town. theoretically the dust bowl had just happened. Yeah. Right? And it does uh, it a good, 30, yeah. Seven, 38. Yeah. about that. And and it does a good job too of like having then the contrast when you do get those pops of green in like the garden area and stuff like that of like but you notice it's only it's only the wealthy houses because right exactly they can afford the water and also it's the it's the wife of the man who controls the water right. department so if he doesn't have good water then the rest of LA sure doesn't 
<laughs> right, right. But he does have good water. He has so it, water. Oh, it it feels very intentional in that color palette stuff, but I don't really like the way it looks has never been that appealing to me. The actual shot compositions, on the other hand, are incredible. Like there are some wonderful shots here. It's just the actual it's just this is more of a nitpick than anything. The color palette of the movie is is about as dingy as it gets, you know, but um, I don't think that it's especially yeah. beautiful to look at for the most part, even though I do think the cinematography is great. It's it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. It's there. choice of locations. Well, of right. course, when they're talking about like the air quotes, L.A. River, which is basically just like five feet across nowadays. Um, but the shot composition for that, it's yeah, it is intentional and it is. You're right. It's it's brown. It's beige. It's basically breaking bad. But the thing that I like is I've been to LA and I didn't feel the magic. I feel the magic with this movie somehow. <laughs> <laughs> right. I same. I've been to LA as well. And it, yeah, the, the, it definitely has like a different kind of way of capturing it. There's only so many homeless people you can drive by and be like, yep, I can turn the other cheek to that and right. look at the pretty buildings <laughs> and pretty sight lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But th it does a good job of representing just like what Hollywood really is, you know, in True. terms of what the landscape of it is it's not really this metropolis of sorts it's this dusty town that just grew way too big than it was supposed to be able to handle you know yeah so um yeah it's it's kind of it yeah, i do love the presentation of la in this film for sure it, it definitely is a love letter to la uh this is the point when i'll bring up so there's a commentary track and you said it was on the would you say it was on the Blu-ray disc? I have, yeah, I have it on the Blu-ray disc, but yeah. I didn't listen to it. There's a commentary track with Robert Town, the writer. Uh, one of the script writers, technically Polanski was the other one, but I digress. Uh, so Robert Town sat down with David Fincher, of all directors, which is awesome because I love David Fincher's work. And so they, they go through the entire thing, and it's essentially, I kid you not, uh, every single time there is a change in scene or change in shot, David Fincher says, oh, I love this scene. Oh, I love this shot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's it is one of those, though. Like if you're like, like it's it's something so great. And why I why the script and the writing holds up so well is that that is it really draws you in. Yeah. Um, like using those classic noir tropes but it's a really good noir just on its own though like in those in that kind of way it's a really good just like private eye kind of movie it's very unique in that in a time when everyone expected of course the femme fatale that it kills the husband of course that happened but right she's she comes off as a femme fatale but she isn't because she's withholding something but it's so personal right. that she can't divulge it right there's a lot of duplicity and there's false identities and it's there's an over the top nature, I think, to a lot of noir stuff that I really enjoy. I've always loved that kind of angle to the heightened nature of noir filmmaking, because you do have like these people holding secrets and like I said, false identities, like the lady that comes in claiming to be the wife of Ida the, Sessions, which is a uh, great uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> that right. is a great name she she claims to be Mulray's wife but secret she was not his wife she was um a, a woman of the night <laughs> but then it she turns also out has a screen actors guild card for some reason <laughs> 
but yeah, then she also was, so she was assumed to be the mistress then, but she wasn't the mistress. She was just hired, but who was she hired by? You yeah. know, like all of these different layers on layers of things. That's just so interesting. And, and- uh, Something that I'll point to like Network and and Bruges, it's very easy to miss details, but if you notice the details, it all comes together and there's no loose ends by the end of it. Yes. I love those kind of movies and I especially love it here. That's something, okay, Robert Town also wrote the first Mission Impossible, and that's something that the first Mission Impossible has that none of the other Mission Impossible movies have, is that kind of like the layers on things getting kind of the onion layers being peeled back in front of your eyes. (laughs) Parfaits Uh, have layers. (laughs) <laughs> but you know what i mean though like um within yeah. regards to the first mission possible like that writing style rights movies have them to a t like he's he's yeah. well known for that baby driver scott pilgrim the cornetto trilogy all have all have those kind of layers that i just love in movie making or especially writing but the movies that we've talked yeah. about they really show because it it's an incentive to follow along to the movie because it it gives your brain a sense of like accomplishment when you figure out something that's about to happen and then it happens or the opposite happens and you're stunned yeah it's 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 brain food yeah for sure um so yeah so once faye dunaway kind of enters the scene and she kind of reveals her that she's truly mrs mulray you know she's not the other person was not mrs mulray but she is and she's now looking into what was happening because she gets like this. Now it got published that he was cheating, not because um, Jade, Jake released it or anything. That just information got out, but it wasn't the right information, but it still got out. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so she comes to try to like fix everything and she can't. And then it gets tied in because um, her dad, who was um no across partners with mulray in the water commission you know or in owning the water basically <laughs> um he kind of gets jj to go with him and and he hires him Did you call to him then- jj <laughs> He's called JJ Giddis. That's his name, but he is Jake. He's not. He's he's referred to as Mister Giddis. Actually, they all pronounce his name differently, which is funny. John Houston. They say Mister Gitz. Yeah, yeah, he says Mister Gitz. Faye Dunaway says Giddies. Yeah, and most other people say Giddis. Um, but he never corrects anybody because that doesn't seem like it's in his character to correct anybody. Maybe he's French. Maybe it's Gitte. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't seem to care how people pronounce his name. But, I mean, uh, the, the the story on that is John Houston. I think that, uh, shoot, that's Angelica Houston's father, right? John, John Houston? Yeah, he plays Noah Cross. Yeah, yeah. So John Houston gets it incorrect like a few times, and then Jack Nicholson corrects him, and then he still proceeds to call him gets the entire time. The right. real reason, and, and it's amazing that they just left it in, but the real reason is John Houston couldn't, remember that it was get us not gets that's so really just, that fits he perfectly just with the character kept doing it <laughs> yeah and uh, i mean no cross that character is such a despicable person yep and you get just a bad feeling from him from like that first scene you know he like brings out like the fish head you know or whatever like the fish with the head on he's and like, he's actually eating it they're actually eating the food in a movie <laughs> they never do that movie makers right, never have people eat the food 
Yeah. But John Houston's like, nah, I'm just hungry. I'm eating this food. (laughs) Yeah, you just get the sense that this guy's a scumbag, you know, right away. Little do you know just how much of a scumbag that he is, though, at the time. Um, But there's this whole kind of thing with, like, the water is going. He's told that the, like, okay, so (laughs) Mulray gets found dead after Giddis was after this information came that he was having an affair came out. And yeah. so he he's found dead in the water though. He's, he was drowned ironically, even though it's a drought. And so Jake investigating and he's it. He's also the water department head. Yeah. Jake uses his ways to investigate and get in. He goes behind the gates and everything and sees that there's like a large amount of runoff, you know, getting sent, just, just wasted, which is weird. Basically. It's a drought and you're yeah. pushing water into the ocean. Right. Um, and then he gets his nose cut by, so I can None trash on Roman, Roman Polanski. Yeah. yeah, I can trash on Roman Polanski for a second because he's a terrible actor. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he's not great. He's he's not a big part of the movie at all. Yeah, his direction was awful. <laughs> but he his role as like as the character, the man with the knife, is I think is what he's credited as. Yeah, he's a terrible actor in that scene. But I do love that he gets his nose cut, and then throughout the whole movie, just has like a bandage for the most part. And then yeah, the scene after I remember <laughs> uh, the the shot of his back as he's talking about the case, but he's very he's very irate, and obviously you know his his, uh, his nose has been cut, but then it shows his gigantic bandage on his face. Right. It's like, that is just comically large. It's comically large, but it's also like Jack Nicholson. I love his commitment to it, too, and just the filmmaking commitment to it. Like, we're going to have this giant bandage across our main star's face. And it's a plot device, too. Yeah. Right, the whole time. So... Yeah, I, I that's that's the kind of detail in movies that are written like this. Like you kind of get that kind of stuff in like in Bruges too, where the things that happen to the characters, even like things that feel like they could be smaller things, have an impression still on the rest of the film. Yeah. Going forward. And even the small that, things yeah. that are just drops in the ocean can cause a tidal wave. Right, right. And you get that sense from this. I also just love the scene of him climbing over the fence after he gets uh after Jake uh, climbs the fence, loses his shoe, and then he's more angry about that than anything right. else. Right? <laughs> yeah, because he's like getting flooded. Like he gets hit by the water while he's looking. And that was for all it. one shot. Man, Jack Nicholson was a very, very athletic guy. I mean, he's doing that in a two-piece suit, man. I mean, back in the day, yeah, in the, like the early seventies. I mean, this was 60s. his literal prime. So. Yeah, th- this was Jack Nicholson's prime. He's always been an, like a an odd looking individual, I think, but he's just got this intensity as an actor that nobody else has that specific intensity yep. that Jack Nicholson. He, he has. comes off as confident and arrogant when in fact he knows very little. But yeah. he's he's very suave. But he can still yeah, he can still be very smooth, you yeah. know, like yeah, he's just, he's so good here. Like when they go um, to what, the yacht club or whatever it was, and they and he's grilling the the host about everything, just trying to get information out of him. And he, he turns yeah. everything on an, on a head. He's asking uh, if he'll, if the host will divulge the client clientele list. And he's like, I, we absolutely can't do that. And he wasn't expecting that answer, but in response, he just goes, and that's exactly what I wanted you to say, but yeah. it's, it's just <laughs> turning, turning dialogue on its head just so well. And if you like this character so much, Kyle, um, uh, 
pleased to tell you that Jack Nicholson actually directed a sequel to this oh, that came sequel. out in 1990. Yeah, the, two <laughs> called the Two Jakes. With Harvey Keitel. <laughs> I've not seen that, but uh, I, I don't feel like I need to. So. <laughs> yeah, I knew more about that movie than I did this one, but that's just really? because I... I, I only knew about that movie because it just looks so weird to me, like, oh, and, yeah. and uh, just the mythology of it. But I, I am aware that it's it's markably worse, even though I haven't seen it. It's 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 been taken. It's not a good sequel to this movie, evidently, somehow. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I would to top that. this, but, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah, but clearly Jack Nicholson felt strongly enough about the character to you know what I'm okay with direct that. a sequel to it. So yeah, you know, what? good for him doing what he wants to do. I might see it someday because if he, yeah, if his acting is even like seventy percent, like even fifty percent, what it is in this movie, right? Like he'd be a really good actor in it. Yeah, if I watch it, it'll it'll be out of curiosity for sure. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of curious, morbid curiosity of like why. <laughs> why <laughs> yeah was this yeah. not a complete story but uh this movie also has a decent amount of like it's like network it's got a decent amount of like very talented supporting supporting right. cast right like, away like one of the first people that you see is burt young um yep. who plays paulie and rocky he plays curly in this movie um this you know also kind of scummy character who's going to jake and everything he owes jake money um and he suspects <laughs> his wife is cheating on him yeah yeah and then later in the movie when he shows up you see that his wife has a black, black eye, eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's like even right, yeah even even <laughs> even that kind of like storyline is brought back right that's right that's what is essentially just a setup for jake's character that entire scene is wrapped up in a neat little bow right right and that's it's yeah it's really end. nice how that comes back uh Yep, again, it's my favorite type, a, type of storytelling. Yeah. There's a whole thing with, like, so the runoff, or they were told that they were diverting water to the orange farmers mm -hmm. in a different part of California because they needed water to help them out. So then Jake takes it upon himself to go up to some orange farms and investigate the orange farmers, which Get these, shot are some out crazy, yeah, these are some crazy-ass farmers. Yeah. <laughs> they just literally just start shooting the second they see them, basically, <laughs> until they get to, well, like, talk also, it out. Also, it comes out that they've been, yeah, it, it comes out that they've been sabotaged by the irrigation company as well as the water department. Right, so the water's obviously not going to them. Right. Yeah, so then it's just kind of but building he also, on... Yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholson takes what is very evidently a rubber crutch to the back of the neck. I don't know if yeah. you remember that when, uh, like right, right. Yeah. No, when he gets knocked out, the, the, the right. guy holding it, he's holding it by the midsection to not disclose the fact that it's just very clearly a rubber crutch. Right. Uh, I, I mean, Jake's it. got kind of a, a big mouth though. So yep. he gets, yeah, he can't, he, he's got, he's held at gunpoint. He's still got a big mouth and they knock him out. <laughs> well, yeah, he, no, he's got, he's got this kind of like, this sort of complex where he, I suspect, just believes he cannot die. Like, right. no matter what he does. He definitely has some sort of complex. That's, that's oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but as the film goes on, they find that what's the real conspiracy here and what's actually happening is the water is being uh, misdirected so that they can gouge the water supplies and then 
they can use the names of, the, of some deceased elderly people yeah. to buy up all the land while it's cheap and then they can then reinvest in it like when it's you know they can sell it off when it's worth way more and just make off it's the rich. most obvious plot line ever it's it's uh rich people trying to get more wealth using sketchy tactics yep yes that but they out. do such a good job of like laying out just how they could get away with this you know yeah. without the right person finding out about it uh and jake just happens to be the right person in this situation to figure that out and he happens to be the right person because somebody hired a character actress a a not very well-known screen actors actress screen actors guild actress to pose as the wife of the water department or the head of the water department to get jake in and expose the head of the water department leading to his eventual death yeah it's just how in the world does that happen a a gigantic multi-million dollar scam is uncovered by a private eye who's just trying to find out if somebody is cheating on somebody right he just gets in really deep in this thing but he's not the type to just let it that starts go. with the smallest stakes and then ends with gigantic stakes <laughs> yeah there's massive ramifications to yeah. this what was essentially an affair just kind of like making like he tells her at the beginning like you don't want to know you yeah. know trust me you don't want to know you just take your money and leave it's better that you don't know is kind of how this starts and then it turns into this thing that he gets too deep into but he's not the type to just let it go like he has to see it through he has to find out what's actually going on yeah his because... his nose has been cut and he likes breathing in it right it. so he's got to <laughs> figure out why so. right right <laughs> <laughs> does it hurt only when i breathe only when i breathe <laughs> there's faye dunaway does some great just like eye acting in this movie like when she sees his cut after he takes off the bandage you know her eyes just kind of like widen just slightly you know <laughs> well there's that scene early on when uh she makes it into his office without him knowing yeah and so they're they're talking about uh her husband and her father and she gets visibly shaken so much so that she lights another cigarette when she's already got one lit. Right. But she also has that exact same thing after they after they sleep together. You you see she's very open with him. And then the second that she finds out that he saw her father, she immediately covers up physically and mentally. Right. Yeah. Right, right. There's that. Oh, it's yeah, that kind of it's so good. Faye Dunaway's <laughs> character and her acting really, really show somehow. Right. All the praise that we give Jack Nicholson in this movie, which he does an amazing job, Faye Dunaway's character and acting is superb. Right. And she's a little bit more subtle for the first, you know, I would say two thirds of this movie. The last third, not as much. It's a little bit bigger performance in but, that kind of capacity. But you get why, like, it definitely has to be that way. Um, right. And that because you get the point where after they slept together, she she gets like a call or something and she like runs off basically but he's she tells him to just stay there and he very cleverly busts out one of her tail lights to so that's easy to follow her and this is where you get robert robert town said he got that idea from a uh from a cop from the 30s oh yeah well that's a, i mean look at that Isn't it? yeah uh, yeah i mean it was a great idea it's very clever the same thing um, with, the, with the uh was it the pocket watches one of them oh, yeah, under, yeah. A, under a tire to see which which car was was theirs yep 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then so when he follows her there, he sees that she's with the girl and then he goes in and he's like he's got her on or she she this is where she lies to him. Yeah. Um, But she doesn't she doesn't fully lie. And this is another piece of great acting from her where she's trying to explain who this girl is because he's like, that's the. I'll go to who, the police if you don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, Mulray was having an affair this. with this woman, and you're holding her hostage, basically. Yeah. Like you've kidnapped her, is what he assumes here. Until she reveals the piece of information that she does, and you can see the acting in her where she's trying to decide which piece of information to, to tell divulge, him, basically, yeah. to <laughs> which would be the best. And she does say the better one for hiding more in the moment and convincing him what she needs to convince him, and saying that it's her sister. Yeah. Because if she said it was her daughter, because that's okay, that's the big reveal in this movie. It, this is the it's whole technically it's her daughter both. and her sister. Yeah, um, which uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But roll tide. Um, if she if she revealed <laughs> that it was his daughter, because he assumes it's the person that Mulray was having an affair with, then she's having to reveal a lot more. So her saying it's her sister, then her husband was having an affair with her sister, and she would want to protect her sister. Yeah, you know, it's kind of what she's leaning on here, and she does a great yeah. But it's also, a great like it's she's technically a hidden daughter, and of course, like records could easily be searched to find right. like her daughter, and obviously, like in the public eye, and as, especially for a private detective. Uh, he would find out and he would also know if she had a daughter. Right. Like immediately. But yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take that much longer at this point in the film to get to the point where he's figuring out that information. Right. But um, once, so then you, you have his old cop pal, you know, from back when he was working, they were working together in, yep. in China. Escobar. That's yeah. Escobar. And you've got kind of their, dynamic throughout the film of you know just like he has with everybody Which, where he's not trying to give too much information he's trying to get as much information side, as he can. side tangent for perry lopez who plays escobar he does the exact kind of acting that like jack nicholson's character is does except yeah. like he's one step below so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so faye dunaway's at the top when it comes to knowing what's going on uh and then everyone else and it's like a gigantic swing all the way down and then jack nicholson's character because he doesn't know very much, but he's on the right track. And then Escobar right. is exactly like that. And I cannot remember the line, but I think it's like, do you think I'm, do you think I'm dumb, Kittis? And he says, well, I haven't given it much thought, but give me a day and I'll, I'll get back to you. And then, and then, then and you're then, dumber than you yeah, think I thought. You're you dumber think I than think you, you think I think you are, which is a great line. <laughs> yeah. The first time I watched this movie, I just like wrote that line down immediately. And it's I forgot so that I did that, but I found an old note. Yeah. <laughs> and I wrote it down again here. No, that that's that, that was actually a note to yourself. You're dumber than I think you think. It's such a good line. It's it's the it's the Bilbo Baggins. I, I know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like half of right. you half as well as you deserve. Yeah. That's good. Everybody's just confused for a minute. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, wait, hold on. What? Are you insulting us right now? <laughs> was that an insult or a compliment? Hold on. Yeah, but yeah, so then, yeah, you get the whole where he's now realizing that there's um, more to it than he's than that he doesn't know still. Yeah. And he calls the he calls Escobar and goes over to her and says, hey, the guy's coming now. You got to tell me everything right now or else I'm going to arrest you. Yep. And because um, he realizes that she was lying because she doesn't have a sister in the system. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, so he's like, well, you don't have a sister. So who could this woman be? And then she says, it's her daughter. And then she says, it's her sister. She goes back and, and forth. And also like, I found these, I, I found these bifocals then in your salt, uh, literal salt lake. What's going on here? Right. Right. It's, there's a pond. Yeah. Cause yeah. the salt water's bad, which that, the guy, the housekeeper guy, that's James Hong. Love James oh, Hong. Butler, Just give yeah. a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> give a shout out to James Absolutely. Hong. Still working to this day, crushing it, using everything everywhere all at once. His voice is everywhere. He's got a very He's, distinct uh, voice, and I just like seeing him. Yep. I just absolutely. like seeing him and everything. Yeah. I, and this is like his earliest role that I've seen him in personally. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that he's in a classic like this. You he know? was probably, well, at, at the time, there were definitely a lot of Hong Kong movies. I wonder if uh, he was in a bunch of those beforehand. Yeah, I really don't know, honestly. But I, I love seeing him pop up here. So just a shout I'm, out to I'm him. looking it up because any opportunity to look up James Ong's uh, IMDb Absolutely. page. <laughs> 100%. Oh, he was in to- Two Broke Girls. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> He's been in so many things. He's been in everything. He's probably the the least most well-known actor ever. <laughs> yeah. His, wow, man has been in literally everything. His earliest credit uh or uncredited i guess would have been 54 the man has 456 credits yeah that is that is that is <laughs> john staggering. williams and hans zimmer level but not for uh, acting no soundtrack like, that's more yeah like from an acting perspective like my goodness i mean and he's what he's like is he in he's his 90s? He's well in his 80s or, or 90s. Or he's in his 80s. He's born in 29. So. Oh, that, that would make him, uh, yeah, he's he's 95. <laughs> right. So the fact that he's still working to the extent that he is, crazy. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he he plays a lot of small bit characters and stuff like he does here. But yeah, uh, I'd but then say he pops he, up in like fifteen things a year. You know, yeah, he so. basically plays when you need an old wide wise uh, Chinese voice in the uh, <laughs> right. in the movie or video game or TV series. That's basically he does, what he, he does. does. Get to play a smuggler in Star Wars Rebels. So <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> I also know him because he uh, he plays a. The voice of just like one character in Diablo three, but I played Diablo three yes. so much and went through the campaigns. <laughs> yeah, he does so much. I, that every time I, I play him. and I hear it, yeah. Every time I play that and I hear him, I'm like, is that James Hong? I like, just always forget. Attention, attention! That's that's Mr. Ping. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the secret to your noodles? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He, he he. Hannah wasn't watching the whole movie with me, but Hannah was watching um, that scene where you get that final revelation um, towards the end of it. And he's just slapping her over and over again. She's going, my sister, she's my sister, my daughter, my sister, my daughter. She's my daughter and my sister. Yep. Uh, just like in fight club, those were actual slaps. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and Hannah was cracking up. Dunaway's idea. She's a masochist, I guess. Uh, I guess so. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, she knows that line. Most specifically from Gilmore Girls, where Lorelai oh, no. makes up, my daughter, my sister, my daughter, my sister, make up your mind or something yeah. like that. She didn't realize it, the, the context for it at all. Yeah. <laughs> so getting the context for it is like a stark reality. That's like, oh, shoot, that's what this is. This is an incest movie. Yeah. It's like, yes, this is. Wait, this takes place not, in L.A.? Is, I thought this was Alabama. <laughs> yeah, this is the incest movie. Near, 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 near. <laughs> 
but yeah, it it's it's a really horrifying revelation, and that's where that like seventy sleaze really just comes into focus because it's been there throughout the whole movie, but yep. that revelation just really just makes that just how clear it was and kind of just changes it recolors the whole film in that and the light. thing i love is for all of his faults uh jake Giddis immediately becomes pragmatic he's like Absolutely. well you can't take the train you've got to get out of here yeah and he's already got the guy coming and now he's got to figure out a way to weasel his way out of that situation because yeah. now he's withholding evidence you know at this point yeah he's, so, obst- he's obstructing now yeah obstruction of justice so now he's he this is when he tricks him to go into the address of the Burt Young Curly character where he goes in first. He's like, I know this guy. Let me let me, you know, or whatever. Or he's like, I want to get into this house first <laughs> um, yeah. and calm her down or whatever he says to convince him to let him go. And and then he goes with he can he gets Curly up from dinner and just is like, hey, you got to drive me downtown, <laughs> basically. So he just sneaks out the back and drives away because <laughs> um, and then he gets Curly to. He convinces Curly to drive the Faye Dunaway character. Um, yeah, but also all her belongings. Evelyn. Yeah, and and yeah, and the uh, Catherine sister. is, I believe, Catherine. her sister daughter. Yes, Catherine, um, to drive them to Mexico or something, just get them away. So yeah, but then this movie also it's not just the twist that it's known for. This tragic endings. It has a very tragic ending, which is common with noir. But this, just because of the subject matter of the film, like it just feels that much worse when they're trying to get away. Um, Noah Cross shows back up and he's trying to reclaim his daughter, yeah. you know, the not Evelyn, but Catherine, um, his incest child, because he's already given up on Evelyn. He's like, this is the only daughter I've got. She's rejected me. So I need her. Um, and he's basically like, I have the right to her. Uh, oh, God, so disgusting. <laughs> and just just no remorse, none at all from this guy for what he's done. And to the point where he's just trying to take possession. And Evelyn's like, I never want her to know that that's But the not case. only that, after the tragic ending, Faye Dunaway's character dies. Yeah, as they're driving away, she gets John shot. Houston's character. No, yeah, Noah Cross like, takes Catherine away. So he gets... In the end, he gets what he wants. He gets what he wants. Evelyn's no yeah. more. His business partner is no more. And he's he's got the only family he's got left that he can manipulate. Right. And then you get that famous line of, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. And that's- Which I appreciate. So they it wasn't going to be Chinatown in the original script. And mm. it also wasn't going to be a sad ending in the original script. But I... What I like about the ending is they bring it back to Chinatown because Chinatown's become like the mythological like place that you should never be in. Right. Throughout the entire movie. And I'm like, when is this going to play you know, into it? Yeah. Yeah. Play into it. And it plays into it exactly at the end. Um, you know, Polanski, I'll give you that one. You suck. But good idea. Damn it. He's a great filmmaker. I can't deny his talent as a filmmaker, his understanding of the medium. Um, he really is a terrific filmmaker. But also, Scumbag just like person. the comeuppance obviously didn't work out in, in Jake's favor. He pried too much, and he he was just doing it for him. And karmic retribution of the time that he was on the force in Chinatown yeah. comes back to bite him literally. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about with Chinatown? Ready to move into so, scoring. 
one of the things that I definitely noticed was the whole the movie introduces two things and then breaks one of them. So the pocket watches, there's two of them. One of them is broken. Yeah. Um, Faye Dunaway's eye, one of them is defective. And, you know, what happens in the end, she gets shot through the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are two there are two business partners. One of them comes up dead. Yeah, there are. Uh, it's a stretch, but Jack Nicholson's character has two nostrils. <laughs> one of them gets cut. So David Fincher in the commentary track asked Robert Town if that was intentional. Just the motif of introducing two things and one of them being broken the the bifocals as well yeah the glasses one of them is broken right and robert town was like no never came up so i believe that to be true but i think it could be like some sort of like subconscious thing right where it was an it was an accidental motif of just layers and layers of things popping up and one of them being broken yeah uh the only other thing i'll say which we'll talk about more in sound is the score for this movie wasn't the original score hmm it um you'll probably remember the uh composer's name because i can't off the top of my head but the composer who came in only had nine days to write that score yeah that's that's an insane thing and it it, and it is a great score it's a very noir like jazzy saxophone kind of thing. yeah that trumpet that trumpet is everywhere yeah but uh what i will say is i'm glad that i noticed like during the movie i'm not saying it's bad and i'm not saying i felt off with it but i noticed that it was like a little bit out of place in parts yeah it's jerry gold like some things yeah some yeah some things were just not like polished like they would be if like the original composer had been given time or if or if the composer coming in had been given time yeah and it still got a nomination for original score (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And it deserves it. Yeah. Because especially given the nine days thing, but it's also a very good score. Yeah. But it's just got that like rough around the edges. Maybe it's intentional, but it's yeah. got that rough around the edges in parts that just could have been polished up. Well, that also that, it kind of feeds into the noir kind of thing. Because noir films were always genre films, you know, they weren't like the prestige yeah. films back when in like the 30s and everything. It was those were genre films. So kind of like gangster films and stuff like that, you know, those weren't what they were until like, those weren't prestige films until stuff like the Godfather came out and changed what they perception of those things. So yeah, yeah. That rough around the edges thing kind of really fits still, you know, even for the, no, yeah. If if it were another genre, if it were a different kind of genre, if it were like an animated movie or something like that, and the score does just falls flat a little bit, it would mess with the emotions of the scenes. Yeah. But uh, for this one, it just makes it unusual and also kind of un- unexpected. And that works for this genre because the entire plot line is something that's unexpected and then turns out to be the case. Right. Yeah. Or the, the thing that you least suspect becomes the thing that you yeah actually happens. Uh, I think that was it. Yeah. All right, then you ready to move into scoring now? Let's move into scoring. For this podcast, we have a zero to two on our 10 categories. Zero meaning not good, one being good, two being great. It is uh, our score for the show, not exactly what either of us think individually and not what we think the actual movie is. It's also very vague. That's why the zero to two, very subjective terms, not very descriptive. So we keep it vague. Starting a conversation, not exactly finishing it. Yep. As usual, the first category is writing. 
Uh, so that's two. So world building. <laughs> yes. Honestly, though, okay, Robert Town um, won an it's Academy an Award script. for this. It's an amazing script. Roman Polanski also wrote on it. Um, the things he added were probably better than the original script. Yeah. And I, I didn't bring this up for some reason. So I also brought this movie up, and I'm glad I get to talk about this. When we talked about Network and when we talked about In Bruges, those were at least like written very succinctly by essentially one person. Yeah. Sidney Lumet, as he was directing it, uh, mostly just let uh, Patty Chayefsky. Yes. So Patty Chayefsky, essentially his script was almost untouched from the final product. And of course with in Bruges, it's just one director, one writer, and it's the same guy. So Martin McDonough. So obviously that's going to be, I have to look not but to myself for writing. So I wanted to talk about this because of the fact that it was a good script, a very, very Hollywood worthy script that was taken apart and then put back together in pieces by two people who were often quibbling. And it turned out to be this. Yeah. So Writing, good writing, and great writing can come from any situation. Right. It really can. Yeah. All right. Um, Needless to say, yeah. It's It's a two. Easy two. This is obviously the films that we've talked about before. This is among them. Yeah. And we've given given twos to lesser movies. We have. (laughs) Yeah. No, great is you know, feels light to call this script great. It's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Um, World building is the next category. Um, I think I'm, I'm actually feeling for a two with this one as well, because like like I said, it's a love letter, uh, cinematography wise, as well as like the, the sets specifically for, and, uh, the way that the world is built around the story. It's, but it's a, it's a love letter to LA and it feels very LA of the time. And they worked, they had to work around obviously because they can't show LA from the seventies as the thirties, even though in some shots they accidentally do or on purpose but um the way that these characters move through the world is effortless seemingly yeah even though it's that's tough to do right and, and it's with, tough to make it work so yeah. easily the, and with the layers and layers of like things that they have going on plot wise yeah. within this world too and making it all make sense and cohesive and connect yeah they do a great job with the world building yeah i would say it's a two another two yeah yeah characters Characters is another two. Another easy two. Another easy two, honestly. We've talked a lot about the characters. So we're gonna be saying uh twos in the next fifteen minutes more than two chances. This is yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be a very high score for this movie. This is gonna sure. be a very high score. Directing, as much as I hate to give Polanski any props, it is a two. Yeah, his character is a zero, but his directing is um his great. directing is a two. I also didn't talk about it, but don't want to give credit to the man. His handheld shots are impeccable, especially for the seventies. Like I haven't really seen handheld shots like that in a seventies movie yeah. or anything earlier. So like, and how the film moves through the world through Jack Nicholson's eyes, mostly, but not through his literal eyes. It's mostly over the shoulder or you're looking at Jack Nicholson's right. back. So it's like you're along for the ride, but no one ever acknowledges you exist. It's definitely a cool way to do film noir as well, because it's a mystery. And also the way to do bad mystery is setting up things that we can't predict, that we had no knowledge or 
any evidence for. Yeah. So I'll point to like some TV shows that feel the need to, and the character of Sherlock Holmes gets butchered so much because TV showmakers essentially want him to be a God figure when it comes to, uh, deducing evidence and answers to crimes. But sometimes they fail to show the evidence and Sherlock will just come up with an idea on the spot with no prior anything beforehand. Nothing, nothing prior. I'm much more compelled by like actually seeing somebody work for it, you know? Exactly. Not only working for it, but you're following along the story and there's nothing that you could get to that wasn't sure. Or there was nothing that the character that you're following get to before you also have that chance. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, acting is a two. Yeah. Acting is absolutely a two. Yep. Um, visual. I think I like Faye Dunaway's acting yeah. better in, than this, uh, in this than network somehow, which is saying a lot. Cause she's so, that good is saying a lot. She yeah. is fantastic in that movie. Yeah. And like I said before, Jack Nicholson, this is my favorite acting choice that he's done. One flew over the cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest is pretty good. And of course he's really, really good as the Joker. Um, and like in the departed, I mean, he's a, but he's a phenomenal actor. Just, he's yeah. He has a career probably full of great the, performances. Yeah, probably the best actor to ever live. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if I quite go there with it, but I'm, I kind of, I, I kind of, he's, he's in the conversation though. Like he's yeah, definitely, he's got in the a, he's got a decent argument. He's, he's so distinct, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess, uh, I actually knew this beforehand. Uh, so Jack Nicholson, uh, his mother was 17 when he, when she had him. Mm. And so she uh, let her parents raise Jack. So, and Jack was told always that his mother was actually his sister. And he found out not too long before this movie came out. The truth. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Wow. Oh, and also uh, John Houston is great as a, uh, like he appears frail and appears less than he actually is, but the second he opens his mouth to talk, yeah. he's both despicable and quite... He's in command. Quite imposing. Yeah, yeah. he's in command of the conversation. you know. And also in- Angelica Houston, his daughter, was dating Jack Nicholson yeah. at the time. So that, like, are you sleeping with my daughter, has two meanings. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Our next category is visuals. Um, I brought up my gripe with the visuals, which once again, it's an intentional thing and it serves a purpose. It is LA with a drought. Yeah. Yeah. It serves a purpose. Um, I just don't know that I love looking at it, even though the compositions are so good. You know, I'm kind I'm, I'm between a one and a two here. How do you feel about it? I think I'm a strong two for this one because what I've said about the cinematography as well as like, yeah. This captures LA in a way that I've never seen before. I don't think my quibble can like get it to that point because it's literally just a matter of like, I don't find the movie that appealing to look at, but it's, but also how do you look at the way that like Faye Dunaway is portrayed in this movie and not see her as like the definitive, like mystery, right? Like mystique woman. And it's literally, it's yeah. For me, it's literally just a color palette thing and it still serves a purpose. And I understand the purpose that it's serving. And I like the purpose that it's serving. It's just like this weird, like asterisk on it, but yeah, definitely. Hey, you don't like the color two. Brown. I'm, I'm not going to take away any like 
unintended <laughs> thoughts about that. It's just a that. lot of beige. It's just a very beige movie. <laughs> it's just it's what it is. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no, I, I'll, I, I could, I will not protest it too because I cannot dispute that. I do think that this is still a gorgeously filmed movie. Um, and that the cinematography makes up for anything that I feel like is a deficiency in the color spectrum on display because it doesn't need to be a colorful film. I just feel like some of the noir qualities outside of highlighting the differences would almost be better in black and white still. But I'll point to, yeah, I'll point to one shot, the shot of uh, Evelyn Mulray driving up to the house where uh, her daughter is located the first for the first time and seeing Jack Nicholson pull up, it's all just the one shot. It's an extended shot of her pulling up her going into the house. And then we see the car, his car pull up. He get out, he gets out of his car and then this camera pans up to show the entire thing. It's like a 25 second shot that shows so many things on screen. And then it yeah. goes into just that amazing scene of him figuring out that, uh, Catherine is just holed up in that house. So, yeah, the the cinematography is some yeah. of the best I've seen. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, all right, editing. Once again, it's incredible. <laughs> <sighs> Big damn sigh. it, Polanski. Ah, damn, you made a great. I mean, it's, it's a it's a great movie. <laughs> I'm um, glad it exists, but I'm not glad that he exists. Yeah, if that makes yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. It also it got a nomination for film editing, which I don't think The Godfather Two actually got a nomination for film editing. I might be wrong about that, but Chinatown got nominated in more categories. They both got nominated for eleven, but um, yeah, Godfather, Towering Inferno won for film editing. Godfather wasn't nominated. The Longest yes. Yard, Earthquake, and Blazing Saddles were the other nominated ones. Yes, I I loved Blazing Saddles editing though. Yeah, but, I do. You know, it's I, still Chinatown. I, I love that. Um, uh, the <laughs> Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein both came out in the same year in 74. And Blazing Saddles also made the most money of uh, a movie for that year. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is insane. Right, right. That's crazy. And for both of them got like nominated for a couple of different Oscars in different categories. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's Mel Brooks, good for you. We'll eventually cover that. That was some Mel Brooks' movies. best year because yeah, those, we'll, those are arguably his two best movies. Honestly, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about Mel Brooks someday. We'll probably talk about both of those movies. So eventually, I'll bring up Blazing Saddles because it's my favorite of his. But I might bring up Spaceballs just because of how hilarious it is. Yeah, um, sound is yeah. So what do we think on sound then? Um, the score, I think, is like my thing said, is I still love the score, but yeah. it's not as polished as it could have been. Right. Um, but the sound itself is still great too. The sound itself is still great. Yeah. <sighs> is it like is that thing with the score enough to drop it to a one? No, because it's still a great score. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Um, genre, film noir. This is a staple of the genre. I, I don't like the fact that Interstellar blew out my eardrums in the in the theater, but I would still give that score a two. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Genre is the next category. Film noir is the type of film this is. This is the best. This is this is the best of the best. A defining is, film in the genre. Kind of yeah. kind of like the end point of what this genre was up until the seventies, you know, um, because the seventies, yeah, like Wikipedia said, calls this a neo-noir, even though you called it not a neo-noir. So it, it that, is that bridging yeah. kind of it thing really is the yeah. gap. It bridges the gap 
between yeah. what you would see coming down later and what came before. It, it is that. No, this set the standard for what you right. think of L.A. in the 30s. Like yeah. I said, L.A. Noir is one of the most influential video games to come out in the last uh, 20 years for good reason. Because, right. And I suspect this movie was probably a good influence on that. Yeah. So if you've been keeping track, um, there's no way we're getting giving our last category of impact anything less than a two. Um, yeah. Which puts it made this, money. Yeah. It has accolades, and it it would have won so many more awards yeah. if uh if Francis Ford Coppola didn't exist. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but that being said, that puts us at our second ever to- perfect score for the show of a twenty. Twenty out of twenty. Out of 20. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I think it's well deserved. I think it's well deserved too. Um. Yeah, once again, not to prop up Polanski, but I can't deny his work. We're not propping up Polanski. I will absolutely prop up Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, and Robert Town yeah, until the, the whole, day I die like, over that that's, man. That's also the thing with film, too. With is movies, that yeah. It's film a collaborative. Is, it's such a collaborative thing. There are so many people. Right now, we're dealing with this thing because the whole Jonathan Majors situation. Not to get into that really at all. but no, he we has can a, get into that. He has a movie called Magazine Dreams that came out at Sundance last year to big acclaim, got bought by Searchlight Pictures. Um which at this point obviously was Fox Searchlight owned by Disney. After all of this stuff with Jonathan Majors came out, look up, look that up on your own if you want. I'm not going to get into it. But um, they now have dropped that movie. And I just feel bad because that director made what is apparently a great film. And because the star of your film did something pretty bad, you know, not yeah. like he uh, – he hit somebody, you know, like that's enough to get fired and, you know, NFL maybe serve some time. time. Right. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not even saying that his whole career is going to like plummet and die and end. But I understand given the current culture, his career's done. Given the current culture. Yeah, I have to imagine. I'm not saying I, I think that he has the potential to make a comeback if he has like a Robert Downey Jr. style situation of like some sort of reconciliation and recovery uh, thing i don't know we'll see going forward with that i'm not I, i'm not robert downey jr's situation was always weird to me because it's not like people everyone in the 70s and 80s was doing cocaine and and drugs right but the second that like at the turn of the century one man is doing it and like we care yeah right now i'm not I'm, even i'm not rooting or i'm not rooting for um jonathan majors to like make a quick comeback or anything i'm just saying that i'm not saying his career is completely dead based on what he did unlike somebody like polanski who i think his career should have died yeah in the 70s yeah it's not just the one thing he did it's the several things he's done since yeah so um but that being said magazine dreams got dropped by disney they dropped it entirely now it's up for grabs for somebody and it's probably going to get picked up for way below what the price would be otherwise and then get dumped on some streaming service in like two years or something like that and that's if they're lucky yeah isn't that kind of funny jonathan majors movies and all the ripples of the people losing their uh their gigs over it but uh polanski's still making films oh my gosh he is still he literally had a film come out last year Yep. So it doesn't play at American festivals, but it plays at European festivals. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> if not the Weinstein situation, I have to imagine it, it would be playing at American festivals. Honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, it's really, it's unfortunate when somebody so prominent within a film, you know, does something that kind of ruins the chances at that film's success and this film got to be successful before all of that. And so it got its 
laurels. It got its accolades. It got its acclaim. And it is a great film and deserves yeah, its Yeah, I'm going to enjoy this movie, but I'm not going to support the man anymore. That's right. how I'll... Absolutely. That's, that's how I'll say it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time watching any of his films that came out after the whole... 1978 fleeing the country all of that trial stuff anything that came out after that i haven't seen from him so that's and that's just where i'm at with that so it's uh, also kind of a thing where i'll i'll still watch his movies because like we what like we've said it's a collaborative process when it comes to when it comes to movies it's easy for me to get over that because of how collaborative it is yeah it sucks that it's the director and that's essentially the quarterback of a movie but when it comes to like Music, however, that's that's less collaborative. Right. So it's more of an individual thing. So it's more, especially given more. Uh, so. more yeah, it's definitely more individual. Full stop. But it's also more individual when it's like Michael Jackson. So right. Yeah. It's a different situation. Apples it is. And it is. It, it's different. I just wanted to bring it up because it's a different situation. Therefore, I'm going to look at it yeah. differently. But everybody's going to be different with their separating art from the artist situation. But anyway, that does it right. for the conversation on Chinatown. Um, great film. Definitely check it out. Um, if you're not one to be, <laughs> if you if you are okay watching one of Polanski's films, um, but yeah, definitely worth the watch for the film history. I'd say stuff, it's still it very educational. It's you understand what happened, but also watch it for like educational purposes. For sure, absolutely. Because this thing has some things that you can grab from it. Yeah. Don't don't turn a blind eye to media that you don't like simply because of the things surrounding it, especially when it's something like this. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, but yeah, that'll do it for the discussion on Chinatown. However, we do what's coming up next for next week. So I wanted to get away from just how dour Chinatown is. Uh, Chinatown was. <laughs> it's not a fun watch. <laughs> it, it's an engaging watch. It's very compelling, but it's not a fun. It leaves you very sick feeling at the end for sure. sure. Um, and I also wanted, we haven't done a modern film in a while, which I'm okay with that, but I wanted to do something again from the 2010s and up. So I picked a film that I haven't watched actually since 2013. Um, so that's, that's a spoiler. It's a 2013 film for you. And, and it is a spoiler for a movie that you're literally going to bring up in the next two seconds. (laughs) Right. It's, I picked short term 12, which is a wonderful, wonderful indie film, at least from my perspective. Um, I I love this film. I haven't seen it. Somehow I've actually seen it. You have. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. I have never heard of this movie in my (laughs) entire life. You got me. Um, well, I I haven't seen it in 11 years, so I don't know what I feel about it now, but at the time I was like, man, I was really trying to get like everybody to watch this movie. I was like, short term 12. Have you seen it? Nobody had seen it, but like, I was like trying to push for it. It's a bit like horizon zero dawn. It feels like they just grabbed three words and put them together. It makes sense within the context of the film, but <laughs> I'm sure it does. But when, when you bring it up and I have no idea what the movie's about, it's just like, yeah. oh, is that a movie? <laughs> yes. But it's something that it will make you feel good. It's one of these indie films that I love. Um, it's very indie for sure. Um, but I think it's been a little bit overlooked in the last decade since it's released, even though it did garner some acclaim when it came out. I, I think it's been pretty overlooked since then. So I want to talk about it. want to feel good. Sure. So that's what we're talking about next week, Short Term 12. And that'll do it for this episode of Great American Movie Review. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> 
<laughs> and these outros are getting weird and weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, totally. Uh, yeah, we gotta go now. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But you're, either you're way, playing as if it's like a sleepover <laughs> for like thanks. middle school. Uh, so we gotta dip out. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you at the movies. Have a good day. Hasta la vista.